0: the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's start in prayer. Father, I, I, I just thank you for this morning, um, that we can all gather in this space together. And... I pray as we're going over this passage in your prayer, um, give us today our daily bread that even as multiple needs and desires and wants have been voiced this morning in, in faith, um, that by whatever means naturally or supernaturally that you would meet those needs and that, um, that you would move in this space and yeah, that you would just comfort and... Um, just by your spirit, um, lift up in by your grace um, each heart this morning. in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, cool. Good morning. As Dan said, my name's Aaron. Um, my wife and I are going to start a community group, as he said, and we're really excited to do that. And I'm really honored to get to teach this morning. So, thanks for uh, yeah, clapping for me, not booing me out. Then that's nice. Um, so, we uh, we've been going through line by line through what is called the Lord's Prayer, or the, the Our Father, um, more traditionally. It is Jesus' response to his disciples coming to him and asking him, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. And so for the uh, first half of the prayer that we've already covered, it should be up on the screen. So uh, this is the first half that we've already gone through. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this second half of the prayer, um, it sort of takes a turn. This, uh, this, The first half is all about um, asking these things of God. And the whole prayer is asking things of God. But this second half is about as us being followers of Jesus who desire all these All those things from the first half of the prayer to come about. All the things that we need for those things to happen. And so we're going to cover the first line of that second half this morning. And it's, um, give us today our daily bread. And as I've been going through it, I've just got three questions that we're going to cover this morning um, about daily bread. And so we're going to talk about what is daily bread, why is it daily bread, and why is it our daily bread and So first, what, what is daily bread? What, what does Jesus mean by that? Um, well, to quote uh, Pete Bragg, uh, Pete Gregg from his book, "How to Pray," one of the books that we actually recommended as a sort of supplement resource as we've been going uh, through this prayer, he says, "Daily bread is daily bread." What he means by this is that it's the things that we actually need. It's uh, daily necessity summarized in this words of daily bread, and the first thing that I want us to notice this morning is just the the, uh, the bluntness of this request there's no there 's no please there 's no maybe there is none of that It just says, Give me what I need. This type of prayer uh, asking for stuff is In terms of like Christian theology is often called petition, asking of something, asking for something. And it's probably what most of us think about when we think about prayer. It's everybody at some point has prayed for something. Whether you're religious or not, you have made a request. Um, But I think it's really important for us to, as Christians, for us to remember that we do not pray to a nameless or a impersonal God, Um, but rather the exact opposite. We pray to a God who calls himself Father. Um, And as we've been talking about, as we've been going through this prayer, he calls himself Father, and he is also the holy and otherworldly God who created and sustains the universe. Uh, Dan laid this out a few weeks ago, and he used the terms uh, transcendent, which means kind of outside, working outside of, and imminent, which means he's close, he's near, he's working inside of. And so if you're joining us for the first time this morning or maybe missed a couple of those teachings, really encourage you to go back and like re-listen to those and kind of as you go through this, as we go through this prayer together, I think that would be um, really beneficial for us. Um, But anyways, we believe that this transcendent and imminent God came down to earth and lived a real human life as a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And the reason that I I, I lay all this out, this kind of setup here, is I want us to really just wrap our, our heads and hearts around this line of the prayer. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the transcendent and imminent God, is teaching his disciples, the people that want to follow him, to pray like this, give me what I need. So I want you to imagine this morning, um, like a little kid, like running around a house, maybe running around this room, they do that often after the gathering. And just think for a second, what is one of the things that kids do most often? They just ask, they ask for stuff. It's it's like one of, if not the most prominent things that little children do. And how do they ask? They just ask. It's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. They just do it. There might be some like screaming involved and yelling, but they just ask. And, and so this morning, this is partly where we learn to grow in this area of the prayer. As we all know, kids ask for things and sometimes don't even know what they're asking for. Uh, I know <laughs> there are many times where I am asking something of God, praying for him, where he must be like looking at me like a parent of a child who's like, I need that butcher knife on the kitchen counter, and I want it so bad. And he's just like, no, that's not, you, you don't need that. Um, and so as we pray this prayer, we mature from a child who asks for absolutely everything we need to a disciple who believes that God knows what we need more than what we think we know we need. Because what we see as needs, a lot of the time are once. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for once and desires. I think we should. But the promise from the Our Father is to give us what we need, our daily bread. And again, what we think is a need does not always match up with what God sees as a need. However, as we talk about that, it it can be really hard to discern what that is. And so I don't want you to be discouraged of like like, do I have to pray the right words, like only the thing that God sees as the right need for me to pray? My encouragement would be this. It's, this growth doesn't happen from two months of praying for daily bread, but rather a whole lifetime of following Jesus in union with the work of the Spirit. And so bring every need, want, and desire before your Father, because just like that parent of like the little kid running around the house asking for everything, he knows how to discern what we need and what we don't need. He is a good father, just like the parent of the child who won't give their their kid the butcher knife that they need so desperately on the kitchen counter. Um, And so daily bread. The next question that we're going to cover is, why is it daily bread? Why is it daily bread? And so, when Jesus tells his disciples to pray for daily bread, he is responding to their request. Lord, teach us to pray. And in this response of "Give us today our daily bread," Jesus is connecting back to this historical moment from his people, the Jewish people, and it's called the Exodus. They, um, the Israelites, God liberated them from 400 years of slavery and oppression under Pharaoh in Egypt, and he leads them out to the wilderness. They're heading towards Mount Sinai, where he's going to make a covenant with them. However, if you ever read this story before, the desert really turns out not to be their favorite place. Um, In Exodus 16, verse 3, it says, "'They grumbled, saying, if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted.' but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They, they started, they're like saying this at Moses. They're sort of like turning on their appointed leaders and things are like really not looking good. Moses is kind of freaking out and like yelling at God. It's like, it's not, it's not looking good. But God responds in the very next verse and he says this. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Now, this is a story that we could talk about like for a really long time, like for a whole teaching in in and of itself, but we don't have time for that today. So basically what happens is God literally rains bread down from heaven. They go out each day and gather what they need. If they take more than what they need, the bread like molds and it like gets all smelly and they can't eat it. Um, And so what God is doing is he's only giving them what they need for each day. And so what Jesus is doing by using this language of daily bread is he's connecting back to that real historical moment that is central to his people. And for those of us who have spent like any amount of time in church, you maybe have heard that story and it's like really easy to like ridicule the Israelites for what they're doing. It's like, you sit there and you're like, don't they know that they were just saved from slavery? Like why are they complaining? Why are some of them going out and gathering more bread? Like don't they hear God saying that he is going to bride for them every day? And I, I, I want to be just somewhat blunt this morning of that we as Christians, followers of Jesus, are often uh, no different. For those of us in this room who do believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been set free from slavery in the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And we know and have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit within us. This story can sound eerily like similar to our own. We were slaves set free from sin and death, but just like Israel, it's so hard for us to believe that the one who set us free is actually gonna provide for us even though he makes promises to do so. So this is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The primary way that the enemy wants to pull us away from God is making us doubt that he will provide for us when he says that he will. Remember what the snake said to Eve when he came to her? He said, did God really say and maybe for the Israelites it sounded something like this why did God bring you into this desert to die he doesn't care about you at least Pharaoh fed you and you had food and it's more than just food this this word from the enemy it's when when Satan tempted Jesus out in the wilderness he did he did so by casting doubts are you sure it needs to be this way your kingdom and the way you're doing things doesn't really make sense if you're God. Often he says to me, "God, did God really say that's how you're supposed to use your sexuality? A good God would let you have it in any way that you want it. Maybe to us this morning in all of just the terrible things and the turmoil in this world, Did Jesus really say that there would be wars and suffering? And he told you not to be alarmed by it? You can't trust that guy. He's not in control. It is really easy to believe that Pharaoh and the snake are better providers than the God who calls himself our father. And friends, the the narrow way of Jesus will feel more difficult and scary than the way of trusting Pharaoh, the snake, or the world. This is, this is just part of the reality. It will feel more scary because we are putting our trust in something that's vulnerable. And so day by day, we need to learn to trust our father more, even though it will be scarier than all the other ways that come and promise and say, no, this this is where you'll get your security. This is where you'll find your joy. This is where you will get this. And so, man, as I've been just meditating on this line of the prayer, like Dan said before that, like, this just fits my, this is, like, anti-Aaron. I hate this. Um, and the more I just, the more I think about it and the more, the whole prayer It's just how convicting it is, which has like sometimes led me to a lot of like, just like guilt of like, and it's because I'm never like as mature as I want to be or I think I should be. But then as I think about those things, I just hear Jesus' voice to me and to us this morning. And he asks us a question. He says, why do you think I gave my disciples this prayer? I knew everything about them, and I know everything about each of you. Do you desire to change and trust me more? Then pray this prayer. It is not a prayer for perfect people, but rather a prayer for those who desire to know me and follow me. So keep praying it and keep moving forward, even though it feels like I cannot provide for you when it feels like you are in a desert. And so, so some of our prayers might look like this. This is, I know there's so many different needs and wants and actually just, I know there's so much in this room. So these are things that I have thought about on my own of just different prayers of what does it look like to pray for daily bread. Father, give me what I need today to feed and clothe my family as I try to pursue you rather than the security of wealth. Father, give me the trust and strength I need to follow your commands. Give me peace today in your plan for the world rather than my own. Or maybe you physically don't have enough money to buy groceries this week, or you can't fill up your gas tank because gas is $6 a gallon. He can handle your needs, and he wants to hear from you. I want you guys to read this next verse up on the screen. It's from Matthew chapter 7, 9 through 11. And just really think about the words. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so just Think about this this morning. Do I believe that God is a good father who gives bread to those who ask him? Or do I think that he is an angry, distant God that tricks us into praying just so that he can give us a stone? I often think that he is the tricky stone God. Whether I like, say that out loud, it's certainly how I pray and how I act most of the time. But we pray to a good father who promises he knows what we need even before we ask him. And the greatest news this morning is that he wants to provide it for us, each one of us. Dan laid this out a few weeks ago that what God wants is our highest flourishing and happiness. Just know that it is not the same thing as our cultural vision of endless security, comfort, and prosperity. He is not the tricky stone God. He's a father who desires more than anything else to liberate slaves from worldly oppression, the grips of Satan, and the desires of the flesh. And so maybe at this point you might be wondering, uh, Aaron, why the heck do I have to ask if he says that he already knows what I need? Because... Asking builds trust and intimacy within a relationship. In any relationship, whether it's a parent, a child, a husband and a wife, close friends, etc., whatever it might be, asking is deeply vulnerable. When we ask, it means that we have a need, and we are acknowledging that there is something that someone else has or can do that I do not have or cannot do. No relationship deepens without this type of brutal honesty and vulnerability. If I never ask my wife for something, I'm essentially telling her that I don't need you. It's the same thing with our Father. He wants us to ask because he wants us to see that everything we have and are comes from him, and he wants us to know that we need him. And when we see this, when we start to grasp this, Even our daily bread, whatever the smallest thing to the greatest thing that we might need in a day comes from our Father, our perspective starts to change and we become people of joy, generosity, and contentment. We become people who, like when the Adams Elementary parking lot is closed and you're already 20 minutes late for church and you pray for a parking spot, and boom, there's a parking spot, you are praising God for a slab of concrete on the street. That is a good thing. We pray and become people who pause and thank God for every meal that we get to eat because it is a gift. Every breath when we wake up in the morning, God has breathed life into every human being. That is a gift. And so when we start to see everything we have as a gift from God, it starts to change every moment that we live our lives the way that We eat, the way that we live and interact with others, the way, what we do with our bodies and our sexuality, what we do with our money and resources, and yes, even the way that we park. Pete Gregg uh, again says this in How to Pray. Other aspects of prayer are wonderful, but our primary privilege as God's children is to ask audaciously and repeatedly for everything we need expecting him to answer naturally or supernaturally by whatever means he sees fit. He is a good father and he knows what we need. And so the call this morning is to ask with a radical faith because our primary gift in our relationship with the God of the universe is to ask expecting him to answer. And now I, I get the reality of this, I have been wrestling with this the whole time as I've been thinking about this, because maybe some of you are hearing this and are saying, great, I've heard this one before. I've asked before with such faith and nothing changed. Or maybe you keep praying for something and your situation has got worse. The reality of unanswered prayer is one of the most confusing and hard things to grapple with As in our Christian faith. Um, A couple weeks ago, Dan recommended a book also by Pete Gregg called God on Mute. I haven't read it, but I would trust the recommendation if you want to dive deeper into this. But let me say this. Many branches of the church have taught an unbalanced theology of prayer and faith, over promising wealth, prosperity, and success, and no suffering if we only ask. That is a great lie. However, we cannot overreact to this heresy and abandon the truth that God, of God's promises that he is going to provide what we need. I know that there is so much nuance within this, and if you're struggling with an unanswered prayer this morning, know this. It is okay to struggle and to doubt but do not abandon your father and do not abandon your community but lean in voice your needs and your doubts it is okay to struggle to get angry he can handle it um king david in psalm 56 says that god collects every tear that we've ever prayed and in John's revelation, he is seeing this image of the throne room of heaven, and he sees this, the angels carrying this golden bowl that is full of incense going up to the Father, and he calls it the prayers of the saints. God is literally holding on to every tear and every prayer you have ever prayed. But his way of working, answering, and moving in the world is through a crucified king who sacrificially loves and calls others to lay down their lives with him. And sacrificial love never moves slow, never moves quickly. And so this morning, when if, he, when and if maybe right now you're on the very edge of believing that God actually cares, that he hears, that he's even real, come back to these promises. He longs and desires to renew us and the world more than Anyone. And he has promised to return and make the world new. Okay, last question. Why is it our daily bread? If you haven't noticed, as we've been going through this prayer, nowhere are the pronouns uh, singular. They're all our, us, and we. And so it's important to remember that this is a prayer for disciples, a, a community of disciples. And when Jesus gave his disciples this prayer, he soon sent them out to spread the good news that the kingdom of God had come. But when he sends them out, he tells them not to take any money, food, or an extra jacket. They weren't like to make any plans, and, but they were to trust that their community was going to take them in and provide for them. Again, that is... Not me. I don't know about any of you, but that sounds terrible. Um, uh, another one of the books that we've been recommending is by um, this author, Gerhard Lofink, called The Our Father, and, and he says this on not worrying about tomorrow and praying for today's needs. This kind of carefree attitude has nothing to do with being starry-eyed, naive, otherworldly, and that is precisely, precisely because the group of disciples does not exist by itself. There are sympathizers scattered throughout the land who will put their houses at the disciples' disposal. Jesus' disciples are not alone. They have friends. This type of prayer is not an oblivious posture towards struggling and suffering but rather one that knows the realities of this world and is determined to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians here. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret that he's talking about, he talked about a few verses earlier, it is bringing every prayer and petition before God for the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul was a Roman jailbird, basically running from town to town, getting chased by people who wanted to kill him. At one point, he got stoned literally to the brink of death. They stoned him and they were like, he's dead. And basically, like, every time he steps on a ship, he gets shipwrecked on an island. This guy did not have it easy. This is not naive. And there are so many other stories in Scripture that display this type of posture. None of them are naive. We... The church, the people of God, the followers of Jesus are called to be a community that is rooted in the promises of God in a broken world. And we do this together because one of God's primary ways of providing for us is through community with others. Here at Neighbors, we actually have a ministry called Love Thy Neighbor, where we specifically make needs known to one another and try to meet them like as a community in this way we get to become the answers to this prayer for each other. But notice, the same principle applies here. Asking expresses a need and is deeply vulnerable. Being in a community is hard, scary, and risky, but it's also one of the ways we get to experience the provision of God in our lives. And something happens when a community of people Start praying this prayer and understands what it means. Hearts start to change. Remember, this is a prayer of disciples, for disciples, that is saying what God's will is, desire is, plan is, and kingdom is, is better than my own. Shua talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's us exchanging our kingdom, will, and desires for his. To quote Gerhard Lofink again, he says this, The Our Father is primarily a prayer for disciples. Every line is about the disciples forgetting their own desires and plans for their lives and desiring only what God wills. In that sense, it is a dangerous prayer for anyone who prays it. This is a dangerous prayer that turns us into a generous people which is certainly one of the most dangerous ideas in our self-centered culture of idols of wealth and security. The accumulation of wealth is, if not the most prevalent idol that we have here in our time in the West, both in and outside of the church. However, if we start to see that everything we have is a gift from God, we start to let go of that. We see that what we have is not our own, and that transforms us into a generous people who care for one another and for the people in and outside of our community. And it's not all about money, although, again, in our setting of great wealth and prosperity, it is certainly no less. It's also about how we use our time, our skills, and everything that we have to offer somebody else. We actually see kind of an image of this happen in the Church of Acts. Um, Now, they do some like really crazy stuff. So I'm not telling you to like go sell your house or like go sell your car because nobody owns a house here. Um, It's like, and like take that money and like put it in the pool of like the church. However, we just read it a minute ago. We We read a prayer every single Sunday morning that says we are determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. That is a dangerous prayer. And we, through this, not only do we become people who become generous, we become people who rely on our community to meet our needs in vulnerability and expectancy. That is hard. Both sides of that is hard. To come and admit a need is difficult. We, when we do this, we become a people who trust that our Father really does know what we need. And so as we sort of kind of wrap up here and head towards communion and more worship, how do we, how do we shift our self-centered hearts, bodies, and minds to know that we need God? And so I have just three points to sort of bring us home here. Um, the first one is really just A recap of all that we just talked about. Ask with boldness. Your father knows what you need and he does not desire to give you a stone. But you have to ask because asking is how we build intimacy and deep relationship. It is how we show our great need. So ask in boldness and don't stop asking because it is our primary gift as children of God to become people who ask things of God. I have been thinking about this all week. And and maybe you're here this morning, maybe you are like kind of checking this whole thing out, whole Christianity thing. Just think for a moment, if this is true, the God of the universe who created you to need things, who created the universe that the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening, God is saying, ask of me. Jesus says in Luke eleven nine, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Therefore, I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The next verse in there, Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory, proving yourselves to be my disciples. Needing God and asking things of him is a way that we prove ourselves to be disciples to one another and to the world. And this isn't just like praying in Jesus' name like at the end of our prayers. It's praying in line with his will for the world, not our own And remember, again, that the way of trusting Jesus will be more difficult, but the one who created you knows what it is you need for your greatest happiness and flourishing. Okay, number two. Man does not live on bread alone. When Satan tempts Jesus out in the desert, um, he, he tries to get Jesus to turn bread into a stone. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and Jesus responds to him by quoting from Deuteronomy. He says, "It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God." Later, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. In John 6:35, he says this, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry; whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." Jesus compares himself to the bread that was rained down from heaven for the Israelites to eat. Our daily bread is not just food. It is the very words and presence of God. And so I want to just encourage you this morning, as um, the late pastor Eugene Peterson used to say, he would say, eat I don't have my Bible with me, but I should. Eat this book is what he would say. And what he means by that is read it, study it, pray it, memorize it, think about it, talk about it with your friends, do whatever you can to eat it. That's what he's trying to say. Um, And if you're doubtful this morning about um, that it is the words of God, that it has power and authority... I just encourage you to go and find some answers. I know it's a hard thing to, like, grasp. It's it's okay to struggle with that. But just don't stay in your doubt and don't listen to people, like, deconstructing on TikTok. Let your doubts drive you to actually seek answers and go and read it for yourself. Because what Jesus is claiming is that everything we need is in him. That is a bold claim, then, now, and forever. And the primary way that we find him is by reading this collection of books that we call the Bible. So I challenge you this morning, don't shy away from your questions and doubts, but lean into them and search for their answers. Like, your very life depends on it because that's what Jesus is claiming. Last point as we come to an end here. No that we need the cross. After Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he says this, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, as much as you might be like really weirded out by that statement, it's okay. So we're his Jewish peers around him in that time, they got like really confused and actually really angry. The text tells us after this that many of the disciples who were following Jesus at that point stopped doing so after he said this. And why we might wonder, and I think it's because Jesus is saying that you need me and you need only me. And people didn't want that. We are gonna take communion in a few moments. It's um, this moment where actual physical bread and spiritual bread meet together in bread and cup, in bread and wine. And in that, we look back and we remember to the work of Jesus, of salvation, and complete forgiveness on the cross. And we also look forward to the great wedding feast of the Lamb where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered in full communion with God, with each other, and there will be no more tears to collect and no more prayers to be left unanswered. Jesus calls this his real food and real drink. I'm gonna take the liberty of calling it this morning our truest daily bread this morning. Maturity in knowing that we need God We've we've talked about how this prayer, that our Father matures and grows us. Maturity and growing from this is that we come to realize that knowing our need for God and asking for daily bread is realizing that we actually never grow up from this. We only realize more and more our great need and the world's great need for God. And as I just have been thinking about this, I think Jesus wants to just come And in a very soft way, ask all of us a question this morning. Do you know that you need me? And do you know that I died for you to both give you what you need and to show you the depths of my love for you? God's kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, only by people who know that they need God and they know that they need what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. The cross where Jesus hung and died in all our sin, shame, and guilt is an act as an act of obedience to the will of the Father is the ultimate expression of heaven coming to earth. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We can like look around the world and see how much other people and the world needs God's kingdom and his will, but we also have to see that we need it and that we need him. Only then will we be people who usher in the kingdom of God. Coming to believe that your father knows what you need even before you pray it is coming to believe that we need him more than we ever imagined. So this morning, My challenge is this. Pray with great need and with great boldness. Give us today our daily bread in whatever circumstance you might be facing as you desire to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, Jesus and Holy Spirit, I pray again that in miraculous ways you would answer the desires, wants, and needs of this community. And I pray that by the grace of your spirit that you would comfort every heart in this room. And I pray that with a greater clarity and conviction that we would understand our great need for you and that it is for our greatest happiness and flourishing and also for the world's greatest happiness and flourishing. I pray that we would be people who are surrendered to you, surrendered to one another, and that we would grow in love and faithfulness.